Would you please pray with me as we begin our time in the Word today? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and look at this familiar story, and we just pray that you would give us new eyes to see who you are, Lord Jesus, and revive our hearts in doing so. So I pray, Lord, that you truly would take our minds and think through them, that you would take my lips and speak through them, that you would take our wills and bend them to your own, and take our hearts and revive them, set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, as I mentioned at the welcome, this is that Sunday of the year. We're starting to kick off all our little churches over the next couple weeks. It's just a good time as families come back from vacation and, and new families come and check us out. Who are we at Christ Church? What do we believe? And so we always take a passage from one of the Gospels looking at Jesus as God being revealed to us in a very powerful way. And so I thought this year we would look at this well-familiar text out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, because Jesus reveals himself in a powerful way as you responded. The crowd, you know, we've never seen anything like this. As if to say, you got to see this guy. Because that's what Jesus does to us as believers. And what we're going to see in this text is some powerful truths. So I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, either in the bulletin or on your device, if you don't have a Bible with you. In chapter 1, Jesus has clearly explained what he's attempting to do here. He's building the kingdom of God. He says in chapter 1, verse 14, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Isn't that interesting that that's Jesus' message? He doesn't say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He doesn't, you know, break into the evangelism explosion method, which, which was wonderfully used by many years. Jesus' message, and I would propose this is our message today, is God's kingdom is here. Humble yourself. Change your direction. Follow Jesus with us. And believe the good news. Trust it. What's the good news? The kingdom of heaven is here. And so that's the message. And all throughout chapter 1, we show what the evidence of the kingdom is. He brings healing. He brings hope. He preaches the word. And so he arrives back in Capernaum in chapter 2 in this amazing passage. We don't know whose house this is in Capernaum. Some scholars believe perhaps... This was Peter, because he's starting to follow Jesus at this time, his mother-in-law's house. Um, but we're not, we're not sure. But I want us to picture this scene, all right? This is literally kind of a Laurel and Hardy-esque, Keystone Cop-esque scene, all right? I don't want you to miss this, the reality of how earthly this story truly is. You got... A one-room house in Capernaum, probably, maximum two-room, can fit anywhere between 50, maybe 100 people in. The news is spreading about Jesus. Jesus is welcome to this house, and he's preaching the word to the crowd. 
well, four dudes have somebody. We don't know his relationship to them. It might have been, you know, maybe they were all members of the class of 1980. Maybe they was a family friend. We don't know their relationship. But it's an amazing thing. They, they bring him, try to get him through the door, and nobody will let them in. There's not room. So it's Israel. It's a little warm. So they probably put the cot down and wipe their brown. Well, what now? And then one of them goes, the roof. <laughs> right. I mean, don't miss that. Did, did, they, did they have a ladder? Did they bring a ladder with them? Did they steal a ladder? Maybe there were steps on the other. We don't know how they got there, but when you got there, what you have is a two-foot-thick roof made up of logs, then sticks in between those logs, then branches laid across, and then dirt that's moistened to pack down to where it's hard clay to stop the rain from coming through. So you got this two-foot roof that these four guys have their friend on top of, and that's the scene. So what do we learn here from these guys? Well, what we learn is what f- genuine faith truly looks like. We, too, we look at what hindering faith looks like, and we see the wonderful compassion of God. All right? Genuine faith, hindering faith, and then the wonderful compassion of God. So first, they, they bring this guy down. They, just imagine this scene. They, they're tearing through the roof a big enough hole to get a, a portable gurney through. All right? So if the average height back then was about 5 foot 8, that's a 5 foot 8 gurney. They probably didn't want to tilt him down. They probably tied him to it, yes. But... It's a huge hole. So you can imagine the reactions, right? Dirt starting to fall down. I just did my hair. I just bought this robe. What's going on here? And all of a sudden, the crowd gets big, and you can imagine the Pharisees. The Pharisees are there, too. In Luke's account, the Pharisees are there. So you've got the Pharisees, the scribes, and it describes them as just sitting there. They They just sit there and watch this all happen as the bright blue Capernaum sky comes through, and they lay him at the foot of Jesus. What chaos. Amazing. Well, the first thing I think this shows us is that genuine faith has a great love for others. You know, they, they truly loved this man. They vandalized someone's property to get them to the feet of Jesus. They ignored the protests around them, all for the sake of their friend. We don't know who he was in the relationship. Whatever the relationship, they truly loved him. And whatever happened that day, whether he was healed or not, this paralytic was a rich man because he had friends like this who would do anything to get him to Jesus. Secondly, along with great love, these friends also had a great faith. 
There was no way they would have gone through such outrageous extreme actions if they didn't believe Jesus could and would heal their friend. A wavering faith would have never gone to such lengths. Even if they had gone through the effort to get him up onto the roof, probably would have said, guys, this is too embarrassing. We can't do this. I'm out of here, right? But these four truly believe, and such a kind of faith truly invites the Lord's miraculous power. Not only does this faith, a great faith, but it's also a persistent faith. When they got their friend in the stretcher, there was no stopping them. They arrived at the door. They didn't say, oh, well, it's full. I guess it's not the Lord's will that he should be healed. No, they, they went through with it. Next, the, this faith is creative. I mean, who thinks to take a paralytic up on a roof? I mean, that's an amazing group of guys. I'm sure as he was layered down, some of them looked at him and said, Oh, Joe! Jew! Why did, I've known Joe my whole life. I, why didn't I think of that? Well, I'll tell you why. The answer is, they didn't believe as passionately. They didn't believe as truly that Jesus is the only way to be that creative, to be that inventive. Very creative. It reminds me today how creative the Bible Project is. If you have never gone on YouTube and seen the Bible Project videos, do yourself a favor. Dr. Tim Mackey, the scholar, and the narrator John, I don't know John's last name, they're, they're, they're old friends from 20 years ago. They ran a skateboard ministry to skate rats in Portland. <laughs> and they, they, they just love these type of kids because they were those type of kids. And they both came to faith in Christ, and Tim went on, and he will tell you how he's a self-acclaimed Bible nerd. And what they want to do is get the good news of the gospel out there in video form, so they've recruited these wonderful motion graphic designers from all over America. And they've built an office there in Portland based out of a church. they got their own offices, and throw up these amazing videos of every book of the Bible. And all these doctrines, and I encourage you to go on there, all for free, so people can see the good news of Jesus in a, in a very compelling, creative way. That legendary creativity of, of that ministry springs a passionate, driving belief for Christ, that Christ is the hope of the world. Believing faith finds a way whether at home, at school, at work, no matter what. Also, this faith was sacrificial. I mean, after all, someone's going to have to pay for that roof, right? Someone's going to have to fix it and take the time and labor and expense to fix it, and a faith that brings Christ's power to the world is willing to pay that price. Few Christians that I've known have opened up their home as well as Martin and Angela Mims. I'm, I'm blessed to be a member of Truro when Martin came to, to Truro in the early 90s. 
my sister-in-law, Celeste, and Kesty are here today with Kim. Uh, Celeste married their son, John. I saw Martin and Angela open up their home to a degree that I'm even uncomfortable with at times. But they challenged me, what does it mean for us to open up our homes for others? I mean, we'd walk into one Truro Lane and there'd be somebody, I knew wasn't a member of this church, but they were just invited in. You know, and we're hanging around. And Mark, Angela, she didn't cook. She ordered something out, you know, because she's English, and English don't cook. I don't know if you realize that, you know. You know, you know. <laughs> and so she would just order something, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, we'd all be eating with these just total strangers. Few Christians. Are we willing to open up our homes at a cost such as that? It's important that we risk it in that way. So that's authentic faith, friends. That's what it looks like. I call them the four dudes. We don't know who they are. But it was sacrificial. It was a great love. It was creative. It was persistent. And it cost them. Well, now let's look at the faith that hinders authentic faith. Because the real paralytics in this story are the scribes and Pharisees. Like I said in Luke 5, the Pharisees are just sitting there watching this all happen. I mean, after all, if someone's coming through the roof, wouldn't you get up out of your seat and help? They didn't. When the roof opened, they should have reached up. But instead of love, there was, hear me, indifference to the good news and criticism. Because that's what hindering faith does. It's indifferent to the things of God, and it even criticizes genuine faith. Of course, our Lord saw everything far more clearly than we do. So he decided to use this charged moment to, with the paralytic to make his point, knowing that they were looking for something to pin on him. He looks at the paralytic, and the first words out of his mouth are, son, your sins are forgiven. It's, it's a calculated and very outrageous statement, given the circumstances, right? I mean, after all, Lord, he's paralyzed. He can't walk. And you tell him his sins are forgiven. From the Pharisees' perspective, this was blasphemy. For only God can forgive sins. So why did Jesus say that? First of all, have you ever been really sick? I mean, really sick or known somebody to be really sick or get a condition which they're going to have for the rest of their life? Almost every person asks, Lord, what did I do? How did, how, what did, I, how did I deserve this? Jesus doesn't want that to enter his mind because as, we, as we've been reading in Dane Ortland's book, Our Lord, the real God, is gentle and lowly. So therefore, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Secondly, regardless of the man's physical condition, his greatest need is the forgiveness of his sin. He needs to be reconciled to God. Forgiveness is a far greater work. Why? Because it costs Jesus everything. Thus, he met the man's greatest need first and forever in this act. 
And third, Jesus pronouncing forgiveness was to trap the scribes and Pharisees with the implications of the healing that he was going to perform. So in verse 8, he reveals his logic, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. His physical miracle would verify his moral miracle in forgiving his sins. So what could the Pharisees say to that? What could the scribes say to this? Nothing. Now we got some electricity going on. Now the tension is really building. Verse 12 continues, and he rose, immediately picked up his bed, and went before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. What a moment, huh? What a great scene. This paralyzed person being dropped down from the sky, from a hole, left hooting and hollering, high-fiving, doing the fancy-like dance you see on the subway commercials, you know, down the street, praising God. Spurgeon writes of this scene, he set one foot down to God's glory. He plants the other to the same note. He walks to God's glory. He carries his bed to God's glory. He moves his whole body to the glory of God. He speaks, he shouts, he sings, he leaps to the glory of God. That's the compassionate God overcoming the hindering faith of the Pharisees and scribes. Who is to say that that paralytic and his four friends didn't dance down the street? And as he went home, he bore something far more impressive than just his bed. He had something more impressive. It was a clean heart, the greatest miracle of all, with no guilt, no bitterness, no shame. And someday, his health would fail him again. But within him would remain a well of water springing up to eternal life forever. See, the Lord can do anything he wants. He can heal any disease he pleases. But the greatest miracle and the only one that is eternal is the one that forgives sin. Has he ever said to you, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven? As we noted earlier, Luke says of this event, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. That power was unleashed by the love and the faith of a health, helpless paralytic's four friends. And that is how is it unleashed today to a world that's paralyzed by sin. Brothers and sisters, we must love the world. They're just people. They don't know any different. 
We must love them. It begins by loving those we see, our family members, our neighborhood, our workplace, our schoolroom, wherever you students are going to school, and even extends to those we have yet to see. We must begin where we are, determine, to determine to love those within our sphere of influence. And finally, along with love, we must believe that Jesus truly is the only one who can heal eternally. For Jesus truly said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do we, without qualification, truly believe this? If we do, then we will love with a great love. We'll have a great faith. It'll be persistent. It'll be creative. And it'll be sacrificial. All to the glory of God, ushering in his kingdom of which we live. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this day and for this passage and that you have taught us the marks of an authentic believer, and we confess that we fall short on some of those. But yet you're gentle and lowly with us, and you say, follow me. We confess, Lord, that we've fallen short, and therefore, Lord, help us to have a great love for others like these friends. That our faith would be great, would go to great lengths, would be persistent. We you would, Holy Spirit, give us creative ideas and how we might minister to our friends and neighbors. And Lord, we would count the cost and, and do it. Lord God, move in each and every one of us. May we not be, as the scribes and Pharisees, religious. Because this isn't a religion, this is reality. We have a relationship with you, Lord God, for that's what you desire. And we pray that as we live this way, Holy Spirit, you would do such a great work in our lives, the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.